It's from John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you to do. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's really lovely um, to have our young people in the service with us at this time. Um, Carl mentioned there's activities through there. I sometimes think it would be quite nice if we as adults could, you know, when we were a bit bored, we could just go off and do a bit of colouring. As far as I'm concerned, feel free. <laughs> if you want to just sneak out, do a bit of colouring. I think God can meet us in the colouring every, much, every bit as much as he can meet us in a sermon. So... This passage that we've just listened to and read, I want to share a few reflections on things that struck me. You might have been struck by other things, so just stay with those. I love how the passage starts. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. I think it's one of the few times when Jesus is there as an also-ran, if that's not sacrilegious, an add-on. The mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also there. I like to think that John perhaps had a little twinkle in his eye when he wrote that. He would have known Mary really well, wouldn't he? Because Mary went to live with him after Jesus was crucified. And I kind of wonder how many times did he hear Mary tell this story? I think he must have loved writing it and putting Mary kind of centre stage, recording for all of history how she, who was the first to see Jesus come into the world was there when he began his ministry and perhaps was even a bit more tuned in 
than Jesus himself was to, to that moment of beginning. And she gives in this passage probably what is the most helpful advice to anyone who wants to be a disciple of Jesus. She says, do whatever he tells you to do to the servants. It's good advice, isn't it? Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. She, who was the first to say yes to Jesus, is now teaching others to say yes to Jesus. I kind of love that. And when we do that, just like the servants did, it's a very simple thing he asked them to do, something they did every day of their lives probably, fill up the water jars with water. It's all he asked them to do. And when they did that, they, op- it, they opened up to this extraordinary miracle. And how might that happen to us if we're faithful just to do what Jesus tells us to do? So John, in the first half of this book, it's about 20 chapters, so the first 11 chapters, um, John describes seven great miracles that Jesus did. The last one in chapter 11 is the raising of Lazarus from the dead, and this is the first one. And John calls these miracles signs, which is interesting. Because the purpose of a sign is to point to something beyond the sign, isn't it? We, we don't go to see a sign and think how, what a lovely sign it is. We follow the sign. We follow the sign to where it points us. We go to the thing that the sign's pointing to. And so Jesus wants us, sorry, John wants us to do the same here. It's, this isn't just about... Jesus turning water into wine, which is extraordinary, but it's also about, it's pointing us to something about who Jesus is. It's beyond just the miracle in itself. Now, according to, to Jewish tradition, the bridegroom was responsible for providing the wine at a wedding. Probably still is. So here we see Jesus prophetically fulfilling the role of the bridegroom, providing wine for the wedding. And this is John showing us that Jesus has come into our world as the bridegroom, who will one day be united to his church, to to us, that's us, in the great feast the wedding feast of the Lamb. So this first sign is a prophetic indication of who Jesus is for us. And I think it also gives gives us some clues about the kind of bridegroom that he is. And I want to mention three um, that struck me. So the first is that I think we see in this Jesus cares about our shame. It would have been hugely humiliating to run out of wine at a wedding. 
And I'm reminded here of the very first time in the Bible where we see God expressing a concern for our shame. And it goes back to Genesis when we might remember the story, Adam and Eve have disobeyed God, they've eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and suddenly they're overcome with this feeling of being naked and ashamed. And what does God do in that moment? He provides for them skins, animal skins, to cover their shame. Shame's probably one of the worst feelings that we can have, isn't it? It's not quite the same as guilt. Guilt says, I've done something wrong. Shame says, there's something wrong with me. It's that horrible sinking feeling that probably all of us at some time or another have, have experienced. Now God may on occasions want to point out to us that we've done something wrong so that we can make amends. But he never shames us. He does the exact opposite. He comes to cover our shame. God never wants to make us feel rubbish about ourselves. I think the world does that. It's a tactic we often see. The world often shames. But please know, if you feel shame in your life, it's never from God. He never comes to shame us. So just as God stepped in in Genesis to cover Adam and Eve's shame, here again we see Jesus stepping in to avoid humiliation for the bridegroom and, his, and, and the bride. And I think in this we see a foretaste of what Jesus also does on the cross. In the verses that we have at St Mary's and St Mark's for the year, from those verses from Hebrews, it talks about Jesus for the joy set before him, enduring the cross and scorning its shame. Jesus scorns shame and brings something glorious out of it. Resurrection, in that case. He will enter into every bit of shame in our lives if we let him to make it into something beautiful. In all of those places where we feel we're no good, where we feel we hope nobody will ever see this thing, nobody will ever found out, find out, he wants to let us know that that thing that we feel most ashamed of doesn't stop him loving us. He's not embarrassed about it. He's not ashamed of it and us. It doesn't make him want to reject us. It makes him want to come to us all the more, to, to lift us out of it. I want to read some lines from one of my favourite authors. He says this, Jesus is always heading right towards the most sinful and shame-based place within us. He doesn't gravitate there to condemn us, nor does he go there simply to invite us to shape up and change our ways. Rather, Jesus goes there 
to break our hearts wide open by revealing to us the mystery of the cross. Jesus most radically reveals that we are totally loved in the very midst of our sinful ways. All those things we're embarrassed about, ashamed about, that we get wrong. This is God's favourite thing. Lying in wait for us to finally see and accept that that which is most broken and lost within ourselves is where we might know how invincibly loved and whole we are in the very midst of our brokenness. So Jesus is concerned about our shame. And secondly, he's generous. Six stone jars, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. That makes roughly around 150 gallons, let's say, if you quickly do the maths. Roundabout. Full to the brim. The servants fill them full to the brim. And apparently that equates to around about 800 bottles of wine. <laughs> That's a lot of wine. There's a generosity in God's kingdom. There's a huge generosity in the heart of God. There's enough love to reach the deepest parts of our fear and loneliness. There's a lot of wine for us to enjoy in the kingdom. And it puts me in mind of a parable that Jesus told, the parable of the sower. And this sower goes out scattering seed onto all kinds of ground, onto stony ground, onto good ground, onto ground with weeds. And it's like there's an infinite amount of seed and the sower just scatters it. Now, no human sower would ever do that because the seed isn't infinite. Seed's precious. So you sow it carefully into ground. Those of you who are gardeners will know this. You sow it carefully into ground that will bear, you know is going to be able to, to bear fruit. But the sower, the sower is a picture of God. And God liberally sows out seed into the world, into our lives. And I think the seed is like the invitations that God's giving us. And there's an infinite amount of of invitations. If we miss one invitation, there'll always be another, and another, and another. Now that doesn't mean there's not consequences of those invitations that perhaps we miss, but it does mean that there will always be another invitation. God will never, ever give up on us. He'll never, ever stop giving invitations. His mercies are new every morning. I love the fact that we live in a world where there's always new beginnings. We've just started a new year. (laughs) But there's always a new day, a new month, a new opportunity, a new invitation to respond to where God might be saying, here I am, here I am for you. And then thirdly, I think what we see is the bridegroom, Jesus, is all about transformation. That's what this miracle is. It's a miracle of transformation. 
of water into wine. And it's not just even drinking water. It's ceremonial, it's water for ceremonial washing. And Jesus doesn't just add something to it, doesn't just add a bit of, of squash <laughs> to make it taste nice. He transforms it. He transforms it. And that's what he wants to be about in our lives. That's the prophetic significance of this sign. That Jesus is about to bring in a radical transformation in humanity. He's turning sinners into saints. <laughs> He's giving sinful people a new identity, a brand new way of being in this world. He's giving to us a gift of righteousness, of all rightness, of okayness, okayness with God, that we can know we're okay and live out of that. He's making us sons and daughters. He's making lost people into found people who have a new home in an amazing, generous kingdom. I think we so often can think that God loves us when we change. But it's better news than that. God loves us so that we can change. It's always love that produces change. Criticism doesn't do it. Shame doesn't do it. That's why God doesn't use shame. It just makes us feel bad. It's love that invites us into an experience of change and transformation. And here we see Jesus at a wedding, there in the thick of life, the stuff of life. Showing himself as one who's concerned about people's experience, our experience, being generous, <laughs> revealing what he's like, so that we might experience his, experience his love. And in, in experiencing something of that, we might change, be transformed. And that's an immensely powerful thing in our world. Transformed people transform people. When we go out into this world as transformed people, there'll be a ripple effect. There can't not be. So, here we see Jesus concerned about those places in our lives where we feel bad about ourselves wanting to come into those places and to do something. Here we see Jesus, hugely generous. <laughs> There's wine to be drunk. <laughs> and here we see Jesus, capable of transforming our lives. So perhaps you'll join me in just a, a prayer. as we just reflect on what perhaps Jesus might want to whisper to you. Where you might need to know him coming into your shame 
and assuring you that that doesn't make you rejectable. Where you might want to know the generosity of his love. Where you might need to know his transforming power. Jesus, would you come to us? Would you do what you want to do in our lives? Teach us to do whatever you tell us to do, that we might see extraordinary miracles. Amen.